that's kind of my job is like if I'm panicked and I'm angry and frustrated, then everyone looks at me and goes, oh, we're going down. There's no way this is going to work. Uh, but if I'm calm and collected and can still like engage people, everyone, even if I'm lying, which most of the time I'm just faking it, I'm faking like I know what I'm doing. The rest of the time I'm completely panicked on the inside. Um, but if you can like, you know, I can have that kind of sense and attitude, I think people will respond to that. And I think, you know, them getting a sense of, uh, you know, work and accomplishment and identity. I mean, I think that doesn't mean, you know, if people are working for, for very little or nothing, it doesn't mean you don't push them. It doesn't mean you go, okay, well, that's good enough. And so I find that even when people are working for free or for no money, um, that uh, they push them to excellence and say, no, this is, you can do better than this. Like we can do better than this. You can do better than this. Let's keep going. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we talk about careers in film. Today, we're talking with Brandon McCormick, who is an Atlanta-based writer and director who oftentimes focuses on content that has a musical element. Many of his projects could be generally considered as musicals. He's someone who comes from a faith background, and many folks who are involved with film and come from a faith background put a lot of energy into figuring out how to navigate that that balance between the work that they're doing and whether that's considered strictly secular or if it's faith-based content or what the difference even really is. And uh, there's a lot of discussion of that type, and uh, Brandon definitely has a very specific point of view that he's coming from. So whether or not you're just interested in independent filmmaking or you come from a faith background or you're just interested in these kind of conversations, there's lots of that kind of content in here and plenty to take away from it. So let's go ahead and dive in. Thanks for taking the time to come up here and um, and hang out for a little bit. Absolutely. It's interesting. I remember, um, I think maybe the first thing that you were involved with that I saw was Waco Sleeper. Wow, that's a that's you're pulling from the catalog. That's way back there. Yeah. And I, I remember I, I don't remember what there was as far as BTS or whatever, but I feel strongly like I knew that you did that with a lens adapter system. We did. We did. And yeah. we forgot to turn it on. Oh, which so is why it wasn't had, spinning. No, it wasn't. So there's like this grain over it that we just kind of said, oh, no, it was it was on purpose. <laughs> like it was sh- yeah, shot like off we a projector to, or something. Yeah, no, yeah. it was awful. We forgot <laughs> to turn it on. We didn't know we had to turn it on. So, right. you know, early adventures in filmmaking for sure. But yeah, it was an adapter. It was my first time using prime lenses. So Okay. Kind of, because we had a, oh, wow. we had like a ENG type lens, um, mm-hmm. digital lens. And so I wanted to experiment with some it, primes. What camera was that on? It was that was the, something uh, DV uh, something. No, it was actually, it was the, uh, what would it call it? Oh, the Cine Alta. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I got to, so, I yeah, got to have good, a Cine Alta early camera. on. Yeah, yeah, it was super cool. So we got to go to NAB and, and I worked with a church called 12 Stone and you know, they invested in it and uh, it was really cool. It was a really cool toy. So we got to play with it for a couple of years. It's when I learned that um, I thought if I had good equipment, my movies would get better. And I learned that I can make really bad stuff with good equipment as well, uh, which was a, which was kind of a revelation. It was kind of a bummer. Yeah. I thought it would solve all my problems. So I tell people all the time that gear is not going to solve your problem. <laughs> right. Right. Just from that jumping off point, maybe going back even further, what... Um Tell me about how you sort of first became interested in film. What mm-hmm. drew you there? Like, what's your story as a filmmaker? Yeah, so I started making films when I was 15 uh, and worked with a church called 12 Stone. And so they had a computer and a, and a camera and a closet, and they didn't really know what to do with it. And so I kind of just came in and started messing with it, making films. Um, yeah, I just kind of loved making stuff early on. I, I made stuff 
it, it became a way of me not having to write essays in school. So I just able to make films and little movies. Uh, I got my friends together and we did all that stuff. And uh, so I started winning um, awards in high school, um, which just because other people would submit them for me. And uh, so I was like, hey, maybe I can do this for a living. And so I worked with 12 Stone to get a job there uh, and made content for them every single week. And so it was uh, the thing about working at a church is that there's a Sunday every week. And so you have to make something. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I feel like my education was um, just spending a lot of time and making a lot of things, a lot of things that were very bad, but they were things that I could you know, sweep under the rug. And then every now and again, something good would pop up. And so... Um, that's kind of what I did for, I guess, you know, maybe about 10 years. And then I left there to start Whitestone. And from there, I've been making films and commercials and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. So um, been a long journey. I've been at this for about 17 years. Um, and uh, just hopefully they'll keep paying me to keep doing it a little bit longer. So, so uh, I'm just doing some math there. Early 2000s then, 2001 mm -hmm. or so. Is that when you started 12, 12 Stone? Started working at Twelve Stone? Yeah, no? yeah, I would okay. say about that time. Yeah, okay. so I was uh, eighteen, I think, when I I left. I left um, high school, went to college for a little bit, and then kind of felt like they weren't teaching uh, me what I wanted to know. Um, right. And I already had a job doing what I wanted to do, so I kind of decided to go start a company and go do what I wanted to do. Yeah, makes sense. I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, people are in high school. They get to make videos to, to sort of get out of some other uh, type of assignment. You know, how did that feed you? How did that charge you? Yeah, no, I mean, the first thing that really translated, like, went from video making to me wanting to do filmmaking was actually Lord of the Rings, which I've heard other people say the same thing. Mm. It's like when the first Lord of the Rings came out, blew my freaking mind. It was like just the world building, the storytelling. Um, nothing like that had been out before. And so that's the first time I sat in a theater and I said, I want to do that. Like whatever it takes, I want to make that kind of thing. Um, so for me, it was, it became a, kind of a journey into storytelling and a journey into um, uh, just kind of you know, putting together the pieces to tell kind of a narrative, uh, tell myth making, kind of the idea that if we can tell stories. And, and the, you know, the 12 Stone Church influenced me a lot of, ways in that way too because I had to come up with conceptual ideas to communicate conceptual things uh, I didn't want to make Christian things necessarily so I didn't make a lot of stuff that had like a strong agenda necessarily but I did make stuff that had like to communicate an idea or a concept and in a creative way and there are only certain amount of concepts uh, that you can really communicate so I had to think of different ways of saying the same thing over and over again which th that challenge became really fun filmmaking is not something that you do by yourself no so from I'm guessing from early on you had people around you working with you absolutely can you yeah. talk about that absolutely no, I love these people too like yeah filmmaking is the most collaborative art form in history and uh, so you definitely need people to be around you and, and support you and really bring in their artistic leanings and so I uh, started early on it was volunteer all volunteer based for a lot of years uh, even through our, some of our bigger shorts, we had volunteers because we wanted to be able to take the funding and put it into the film, put it on camera. Um, so I get a lot of people that brought in, I'd say maybe about 20, 30 people that eventually kind of blew up to about 50 um, of just kind of artists and artisans that we collected in Atlanta over the years. And usually what it was, was we brought somebody in who had an interest, but no experience, kind of like me. And so we said, look, I don't know how to do this thing. You don't know how to do this, do this thing, but we'll figure it out together. And so I invited them in 
and let it be messy and let it be uh, just kind of figuring things out. Um, we would say fail fast, fail often, don't make the same mistake twice. And so it was that kind of culture where it was okay to mess up and do something awful because I didn't know how to do it right. They didn't have to do it right. And, and if you're bringing in artists who are passionate and talented, the, the structural organiz organizational stuff is learnable. And so really was looking for people that had that natural raw talent um, and, and were moldable that we can come in and kind of build this thing together. So it's very collaborative, even in the building of the company. It wasn't just me kind of saying, oh, this is exactly what, what needs to happen. It was bringing in these people and saying, hey, this is the vision and where we should go, but how do we get there? It needs to be kind of a, a collaboration. It's really interesting. As I listen to what you're saying, I hear a lot of uh, echoes or parallels of some of the things I've heard it, uh, uh, in startup culture. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of the the idea that you you figure things out as you go and you try a lot of things and you make mistakes, but you get those out of your system and you figure out what works and um, everything's quick and lean and uh, results driven. Mm -hmm. uh, does that sound very sound much so. right? Yeah, yeah. And what's great about film is that you toil away for a long time, uh, but then you come up with an end product that sits there that everyone can look at. And one of the most important things we did were little mini premieres of our films. And it would just be us and some family members. But to look at the work that you put in and the blood, sweat, and tears and then see a finished result that people like, like that became the addiction. Like that became the the driving force to, hey, let's go do this again. Like as no matter how hard the process was, uh, which, you know, filmmaking is, is like carrying a mountain up another mountain, you know, blindfolded. It's hard <laughs> and miserable, yeah. uh, especially when you have no budget. You're out there just sweating it out um, in Georgia. Um, but, you know, we became like these like gluttons for pain when you finish the product and it gets out there and you love it and people love it. Then the next question is, how soon can we get back out and do it again? And so it really became it became about putting out the best content we could put out, um, which is still, I mean, it's still part of what we do. We just sit down and say, anything that we put our hands on, what can we, how can it be excellent? I feel like you've implied part of the answer to this question in what you just said, but I, I guess I want to ask it directly. I think one of the things that is, well, maybe it's not that unique to film, but it's certainly true of film, is that there's a lot of adversity to overcome and long hours and it takes stamina and willingness to be uncomfortable. But at the same time, if you're gonna do something over a period of time, you have to find a way to be fed in that too. You know, and it sounds like showing the finished work, you know, obviously that's a culminating moment for, mm. for a filmmaker. Um, can you talk about, you know, the parts of the process that feed you and the parts of the process that are sort of uh, that take grit. Sure. Uh, the, also, I can start with the grit part, which is getting something made. Uh, the pitching uh, as a director, most of my job is pitching stuff, trying to get it made, which is I hate that part of the process. Um, it's just that's grueling, and you have to continually just push and push and push. But once you get in the process, once we actually start making the film, I, I absolutely love just about every part of it. Um, uh, being at on set is like being at summer camp. You know, you're out with this ragtag group and you're just trying to like sailors out at sea and you have to band together, a very band of brothers-esque. Um, and just kind of, you know, my sets in, in, at Whitestone, we, I really try to cultivate a very positive on-set experience because if, especially coming from a 
um, uh, volunteer culture where people aren't getting paid, uh, you know, people may not work for money, but people don't work for free. And so getting out there and having it be a great experience to me was just as important as what we were doing. And so keeping, and as a director, my job is to keep things, uh, you know, happy and excited and, and to be the, you know, the positive force. If I get all grumpy and depressed, then everyone else is going to get depressed and then it's a nightmare. Um, so it, it became a lot about what I love is, is getting out there and just kind of everybody making the same movie and everyone having this kind of same goal um, and really letting other people be creative. I think that's a big part of it too, is letting them, it's not just like a dictatorship. Uh, it's, it's very much, uh, you know, I want to steer, my job is to get other artists who are great at their job and let them have fun and let them make, you know, my line to a lot of people is I want you to make your demo piece. I want my DP to be shooting something that's going to make his demo piece. Like it's that great. Um, my costume designer, my um, composer, all these, all these things. And so that part definitely feeds me. And then seeing it kind of come together. Um, the first week of editing is a nightmare because every time you edit something the first week, you're like, what have I done? Right. This is a nightmare. You uh, see all the warts. And it's like, oh, God, this is horrible. Uh, then, you know, I, then, you know, I, I love getting into post, not just editing because I do a lot of editing myself. But my favorite part of post is when it goes to my partner and composer, Nate Kirk, who is mm. brilliant. And that's when the music comes in and it starts to form. That's when it comes to life again. It's like kind of this dead corpse for a while in the editing process. And then when he comes in and he does his magic, it becomes a movie. And then I get really, really excited again. And that's when it starts to really come. For me, it becomes an actual film is when, when Nate gets in there and starts putting his music. And it's, uh, it just feeds the creative and emotional sense of the film. So... I, I mean, I like, I like it all. I like it all. And it is grueling. I mean, for sure, being out there four days, five days in the, you know, I, a lot of my stuff isn't indoors. I, I've said that I don't think many interesting stories happen in air conditioning. So usually it's period pieces and it's out in the woods and in the swamps and, you know, it, it looks great. It's great production design and, and it's fun, rugged storytelling. And you have to sweat it out. Like if you want to shoot on the side of a mountain and have this uh, vista, you have to climb to the top of the mountain and shoot it. Um, and you know, it's that, that part, it can definitely get absolutely grueling and exhausting. Um, and again, that's when you have to just kind of like dig deep and just say, okay, we got to get through this thing. Um, and just kind of lean on each other to say, no, 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 we can do this. Uh, but absolutely. Yeah. Some of that stuff can be rough, but definitely pitching is the worst part. Um, <laughs> it's just, it is just not, it's just nonstop, nonstop. A, a little bit ago, you said people may um, may not get paid, but they don't work for free. And what I get from that, and you, you've just talked about a lot of ways that that manifests, but that your crew needs to get fed from what they're doing as well. Absolutely. That if you just show up as somebody who feels like a king and everybody there is a peasant to serve you, then you might end up by yourself after a while, especially in mm -hmm. a low-budget situation. There's a video that maybe you saw that was going around on YouTube a few months ago. Uh, Max Joseph uh, was sort of investigating, do you have to be a jerk to be a director? It's interesting because I think my general summary of his conclusion is that uh, it can help, but you don't have to be, and sometimes it hurts. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure the director role is seen as this you know, dictatorship that kind of yells and screams to get their way. Uh, and I just, I mean, filmmaking is hard enough. Uh, I tell people we got to keep the drama in front of the camera, not behind it. It's, 
it's just too hard to just be fighting each other. And so you care for people. You, you, you actually, you know, give a crap about who they are. Uh, I work with a lot of the same people, so it does become very much like a family atmosphere. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the job is to be the thermostat you choose and you can control the culture and you can control the attitude. And if it's, it's kind of like when you're, you're sitting on a plane and there's turbulence and it's really, really bad. You know, the first person you look to is the stewardess and you say, okay, if, are they freaking out? Cause they know what they're doing. Right. And if they're calm, I'm calm. But yeah. if, you know, if they're panicked and getting strapped in, we're all going to die. You know, there's just, there's just no middle <laughs> ground. So right. that's kind of my job is like, if I'm panicked and I'm angry and frustrated, then everyone looks at me and goes, oh, we're going down. There's no way this is going to work. Uh, but if I'm calm and collected and can still like engage people, everyone even if i'm lying which most of the time i'm just faking it. i'm faking like i know what i'm doing the rest of the time i'm completely panicked on the inside um but if you can like you know i can have that kind of sense and attitude i think people will respond to that and i think you know them getting a sense of uh, you know work and accomplishment and identity i mean i think that doesn't mean you know if people are working for for very little or nothing it doesn't mean you don't push them it doesn't mean you go okay well that's good enough and so I find that even when people are working for free or for no money, um, that they push them to excellence and say, no, this is, you can do better than this. Like we can do better than this. You can do better than this. Let's keep going. That people respond to that. They want that. And I've learned, you know, now I've done big projects where we pay everybody and we pay very well. And I've seen people just not care. And so it's like money doesn't solve that problem. Uh, money helps. No question. Money helps get talent and people out. But at the same point, it, you know, the, the idea is as soon as people go, I'm not getting paid enough for this, uh, it, it's it's people check out and they don't give their best. So, yeah, you can be a jerk, but you're not going to get everyone's best, I don't think. I think people are going to just kind of phone it in or, you know, uh, forget this guy. I'm not. They're, they're doing something for another person. We're not all putting something together, which I think is filmmaking should be. That's a That's a really good answer. And there's a part of me that wants to just be satisfied right there. But I've been on set, and sometimes push comes to shove at mm -hmm. some point, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, people clash, uh, personalities clash, pressure goes up. And uh, for sure, people definitely, and again, it's like, it's it, part of it is what you set as far as an expectation. And so when we're early on, and we're starting a project, um, especially one of our projects that we're doing on our own, not like commercial work or something smaller. The expectation, and I said it, is we're not yelling, we're not screaming. This is not how we do it. This is not how we're going to do this thing. Um, and so it's kind of known that's an unacceptable behavior. And so does it happen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and but it's like, you know, go, you know, I tell, uh, I have a protege team where I, where I teach filmmakers and done it for years and i just tell them like look if you're gonna freak out go behind the grip truck and freak out and then come back and pull yourself together and get it together and and go forward because it's not without adversity and it's not without frustration um i've had to let people go on set before who have not gelled or have freaked out you know and you know part of it is just like i said what you allow and the culture should kind of protect itself if you know that that's not acceptable uh the culture kind of goes oh and that's not I mean, just the people within it go, that's not cool. We're not, we're not, we're all not putting up with that. And so as soon as you let it be normal and as soon as you do it by example, then yeah, then it's going to keep happening more and more. Um, so it's trying to get those moments of, 
you know, my best moments, I feel like, is when it's at its worst and we're at our highest. And then I get to pull. It's like, all right, everybody, we're all come together. Let's let's figure this thing out. And let's like, this sucks. I agree it sucks. Um, but we need to, you know, we need to do X, Y, Z. And a lot of that, too, is making sure that I communicate why we're out there constantly. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Um, oh, yeah, by the way, this is fun. Um, Tarantino has a thing that I, I love. I don't want to steal, but, you know, when things get down, he'll scream out to his crew, why do we do this? And everyone says, because we love making movies. Like, it's just a good reminder of, like, this is why we're out here, because this is this is fun. And our worst day is still better than most people's best day at work. And so we are lucky uh, and we are fortunate to be out here. And, you know, it, it's, it, the adversity is just part of the gig. And so... I have to be an eternal optimist and that's yeah. again, that's my job is to keep pushing and to kind of con- try my best to control that. And I don't do it perfectly. And there are people, you know, like I said, people freak out. Um, this human nature and, and we try to address it. We'll have post meetings um, where we try to sit down and address, okay, here's a problem. Here's a relationship that's going sideways. Can we solve it? Can we, f-? it's all relational. I mean, mm-hmm. most jobs are, but it, filmmaking is very relational. You have yeah. to be with these people through adversity. Um, so you have to treat people like people. And sometimes it means you have to sit down with somebody and go, okay, what are you, what's your thing? And what's your thing? Let's figure it out if we can figure it out. And, and, and it sounds, doesn't sound like filmmaking, but that is a huge part of it is, is making sure that people are taken care of and relationships are, are managed. And then if they're not, then you have to be able to say, look, this person is being toxic and we have to let them go. And that bites. Uh, but I've had to let people go that have worked for free and that's not great. And, but it's like, look, this isn't, this behavior is not working. Uh, you give a few chances and then you say, no, this is this, I have to, we have to go a different direction. Um, and it's brutal, but it's, again, it's my job. If I let it happen, then it's just going to keep you know, just poisoning the well. Sounds like a lot of, uh, I'm sort of reading between the lines here, but it sounds like there's a, a, a very big part of what you do in leadership, which is, which is what directing Pretty is. Much, yeah is uh cultivating culture mm-hmm. and conflict resolution very much yes yeah. and and just getting to know people i mean i spend i try to spend as much time with my crew off set i know their lives i know what they're up to uh, i mean i really i really fight to to be a part of that when i have the you know, ability to so yeah a lot of it is interpersonal leadership yeah. and uh you know and um they say th- th- i've heard the saying that leadership is babysitting uh, which is a bit brutal to say, but it is part of it just like making sure that there is harmony to the best ability. But yeah, sure. leadership is a huge part of what I have to do um, and, you know, what I expect from all my department heads. And so even if there's layers of conflict, then I have to go to the, that department head. And we've spent a lot of time with our department heads teaching leadership. And so and same thing with the protégés, when I teach my guys these film directors will go through leadership books for weeks and it's nothing about filmmaking and nothing about cameras mm-hmm. and gear. It's more about like, here's how you deal with people and here's how you don't let people hijack you. And here's how you, you know, make people feel like they're heard and all that kind of stuff. So it's very yes. much a big part of the, uh, of the job. Yeah. It's interesting because I think when most people think of directing, they think of, you know, storyboarding and, and, you know, all of those things. And of course that, that it's part it, of that it, is. for sure. But um, I think there's sort of a tip of the iceberg thing when it comes mm-hmm. to just working with people generally, whether mm-hmm. those are actors or crew or money people or, yeah. you know, there's 
There's a huge executive uh, so, producers, mm-hmm. producers. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all the way. If you want to go be an artist where you rely on yourself, go paint, yeah. go write, yeah. you know, that those are professions. If you, if you, if you have, I mean, even if you don't come by it naturally, you have to figure out how to deal with people and communicate with people and be clear because all the storyboards are great, but if you can't communicate clearly, um, and make a direction, make everything go the same direction. It's just pointless. And I think yeah. the days of old school directors, Sidney Lumet, walking onto set, just saying action and then walking off are over. I think it's filmmaking with a capital F. Um, I do, you know, I'm producing with my producers. I'm, I'm writing most of the stuff that I do. Uh, I'm editing. I mean, I mean, I'm in the process. So as a director, I get to put my director hat on uh, for a few days, but then it comes right back off. And then I have to do all the other stuff as well with yeah. the team that I work with. So it's, um, it's not, it is not just that simple as saying, I think most people today will, that'll resonate. I don't think, I just don't know. We'll have the, you know, the, the Spielbergian, even he produces, but the ability just to walk onto a set and then just direct and then go home. Like that's just not, that's not our reality anymore. Right. It's just a, it's a different process now. So tell me uh, about Whitestone. You, we've talked about it a little bit so far, but w- what really is it? It, it feels like it's uh, m- my understanding, which is is cursory, but there's a ministry aspect, there's a music aspect, there's a filmmaking aspect, there's a mentorship aspect. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, on paper, we're just a for-profit company. Okay. Uh, film company um, and but within Whitestone definitely we have values um, you know we do uh, uh, we do work with the church often to just do content that we kind of align on uh, again I don't do we don't do Christian stuff but we do content that you know we really kind of gel on um, especially when they're doing more redemptive stuff I believe in redemptive stories and so there's some worldview stuff that aligns there um, and they've funded a lot like Awake Go Sleeper and Blood of My Name and some of the other things we've gotten to do, some of the darker stuff. Uh, they, uh, they're very forward thinking or else I wouldn't be working with them. Um, we do mentorship, definitely. And p- that part of that, too, is, is how we get new talent. We bring in talent. Uh, we grow our own talent and it takes a long time. Uh, but eventually it pays off because then you have somebody who's invested long term, just like 12 Stone invested in me makes me want to stick around and work with them. Uh, I try to make Whitestone invest in a lot of people. And so eventually the, the best, the best stay and keep working with us. Um, and some of them don't. And some of the super talented guys go out to LA and they're doing phenomenal out there. I'm very proud of, of a lot of people that have come through Whitestone, but it definitely had, has taken on some of a kind of a mentorship training thing. A lot of the stuff that I wish I had when I was kind of coming up through the ranks. Um, I didn't have, I had a lot of mentorship in a lot of other areas, but nothing in filmmaking. And so, you know, uh, our thing is that like, we're, we're not, uh, I'm not the best, but I'm just better than you at this moment. So if I can just teach you through all of my mistakes and all of my nightmare failures, maybe I can help you skip some stuff. Um, and that's, and that's kind of the, the essence of the protege program and the music side, honestly, my you know partner at Whitestone, Nick, I had mentioned he's just brilliant. Uh, and when you have someone who makes music, that's that good, you make musicals and you make things that are very music, uh, heavy and music forward. And so I'm highly uh, influenced by music and creatively. Uh, and so when I met Nick and heard his stuff, it was just like, hey, we need to work together and we need to start making these things. And even now we're working on a feature film that's a Southern Gothic musical. 
I mean, it's, it's kind of like with an, when you get it, you work with an actor who's brilliant, you write the role to the actor. Sure. And so when you have a musician that's brilliant, you adjust the projects to uh, lean into that. Um, and, and, and when you have a great uh, costume designer, you lean into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, that's, that's, kinda... that's the key to independent filmmaking, really, mm -hmm. right? Is, absolutely. Is seeing what, what's around here that I can put together. Um, yeah, and adjust to it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Blood on my name. All right. Uh, t tell me about that. Sure. It looks like you had to carry some stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's usually the case. Yeah. Well, just tell me. Tell me about how that project came to be, and I'd love to he hear some stories about sure. how stuff got done. Oh, I got. I got a great one for you. Uh, Blood on my name is infamous within Whitestone. It's um, the uh, you know we, we did it for with Twelve Stone. It was a kind of a takeoff for me. It was like a, a take off the pit and the pendulum kind of rescue at the last moment type thing. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be a musical type esque type thing where he's our main character saying sometimes, but there's a scene. It's kind of a weird amalgamation that kind of just worked. We didn't know it was going to work um, beforehand, but it kind of, you know, luckily did. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting because it, it feels like a straight narrative, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then, then like, music oh, starts from somewhere and different. he starts singing. Yeah. No, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. Um, and like I said, we, you know, we didn't know. I had one person watch it and when it was done and they're like, oh man, how are you going to fix that? I'm like, fix what? He's like, well, he just starts singing and like, and then sometimes it doesn't. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what we were going for. It's just, I mean, I don't know if it'll work. Uh, luckily it did. And the music, again, the song is brilliant. So right. that, the song has had a life far beyond the film. Um, but Brasstown is uh, a, a mountain. It's one of the highest mountains in Georgia. And I wanted to get this kind of vista shot. Uh, and so we hiked it and we got all of our gear up and we uh, brought, you know, ran cam lock and, and uh, generators and all of our gear up and set up. And so it was a huge, huge ordeal with all the crew and, and we got there and we filmed, gosh, I want to say like four takes, maybe, uh, which ended up being about 15 seconds of the final film. And then a cloud came in and it just wrecked our entire shoot. And all of a sudden there's no vista. Uh, it's rainy and everything turns to mud. And then we have to pack all of it up and in the mud and get out and, and come back the next day. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare. And it's like, so I think it was like six or seven hours of load in, load out for 15 seconds of finished product. And it was, uh, that one is famous. It's like, you know, we would have t-shirts that says, you know, I survived Brasstown bald. It was like, if you were there, you were in one of the D-Day, you know, scenarios at Whitestown, um, which everyone has one. Uh, I tell people every film has one moment where it's all done. It's, it's, it's all over. There's no possible way that we'll overcome this moment. And then you do. Um, so we've learned to expect it now yeah. instead of being, we used to be really frustrated when they showed up, but now when they show up, we go, okay, this is it. This is the moment that is going to show up that it's all done. Yeah. And then we just figure it out and we have to. That's been my experience too. There, there's, there's an all is lost moment, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's easier to process it once you know it's out there somewhere. Yeah. It's just, it's just <laughs> coming. It's on its way. And so we get suspicious when things are going too well. Um, cause you know, you <laughs> right. know, it's going to show up. Uh, but yeah, when you, it's kind of like, um, uh, I think that's part of mentorship too, is telling people, you know, when I mentor people and the people that mentor me, a lot of our sessions and hangout times are talking about failure and talking mm -hmm. about the bad stuff, uh, because we have this kind of commiseration and when you know something bad is coming, it's a little easier to swallow. 
Mm-hmm. And also there are mistakes made that maybe you can teach people like, oh, I tried this, don't do this, because it's a nightmare. And so that's where you know uh, the many horrible experiences that we've had uh, really come into play. Um, and I know, you know, I'll sit with a mentor and say, oh man, here's all my problems. And they're like, yeah, well, here's my problems. And I'm like, oh crap, my problems are nothing compared to what you're dealing with. <laughs> okay, I feel better about it, you know? And I'll be, you walk out going, okay, it's good. And then, and then the mentor will say, Oh, this is coming for you too. By the way, this problem way down here. Oh, you're gonna hit it, and it's gonna it's gonna destroy you. Okay, well, <laughs> at least I know it's coming, you know, and at least I have someone I can call to say, hey, remember that thing you said it was coming? Yeah, it's here. How do I, you know, how do I get through this thing? Yeah. Um, and so I think the the misery and the frustration, the failure, is really the strongest tool that we have to to you know learn ourselves, but also teach other people when we mentor them. So we kind of. We kind of value it. It's um, it's cheesy to say, but it's the the idea of failing forward, uh, you know. And we would do post mortems at Whitestone, um, where we'd sit around the table and we would go person to person and talk about one thing we totally botched and how we can fix it next time. And so, and it was a safe place. It wasn't like a, a frustrating like a what you did. Yeah, it wasn't like who did that and who was the problem. Yeah. And it has to be, but it had to be something you did. Like what's the screw up you did? Because we know we all did it, you know. And I'll have I'll tell you mine, and then you guys tell me yours. And then what's the thing we can do to solve it next time? Yeah. Um, and that became a really healthy thing for us to be able to do. Several times you've mentioned that you don't do Christian content. Oh, um, the, the lady doth protest too much, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think and remember. I don't know if I've ever met a filmmaker who really uh, likes the idea of embracing the the moniker, the title of Christian filmmaker, sure. right? Yeah. Like there's something um, something off-putting about it, I think, that makes us feel... Uh, is, I'm, I'm struggling for a word, but... Um, um, bad. Yeah, bad. <laughs> Maybe that's the yeah. word. I mean, bad. to put it... To put it uh, Gently, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's just really, really bad. Um, honestly, I, 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 I've thought a lot about this because I don't want to be that guy who just, you know, is crapping all over the genre. Um, but I, I did put it in, in the terms of placing it as a genre. And so when you have a genre, you have things that are good and bad within the genre. And then there are genres that you don't work in. And so, you know, there are good horror movies. There are bad horror movies. Um, I don't make horror movies. So like, I don't resonate with those films. They have a certain audience. They have a certain set of expectations. Uh, the audience, uh, resonates in a certain way and they want to be, you know, they want to be shown something. Um, so in that way, the Christian film is no different than, you know, horror or romantic comedy. Um, they, they, they're, they're a group that want a certain thing and you have to play by these certain conventions. And if you do it, you can do it well and you can do it poorly. And it's just not a thing I'm interested in, just like I'm not interested in a lot of genres. And so once I kind of placed it in a genre, it helped me understand it as opposed to this big, bigger moniker of like filmmaking, you're either this or you're that. And so it's just a genre I don't work in um, and it's you know, nothing against it. I, you know, I have to be very clear about that. You know, in the early days, I think everyone wants to shake their fists and go, oh, everything is crap yeah. and I don't want to do that. Well, I work um, with college students. Sure. Okay. So then, <laughs> and I had that time too, but I was super bitter and frustrated and, and, and immature about it and would just badmouth it. And I, at this point now, it's just like, look, it's not a thing I work in. And, um, you know, it's easy to be labeled as that because I, you know, work with the church, but you know, the, the, you know, I just have to respect it as its own thing and let it be its own thing. I'm not sitting here 
you know, shaking my fist and, and hating it uh, anymore. I used to be, I used to be that guy. Don't be that guy. I mean, you know, I think it's more of a, it's more of a maturity thing of just trying to get better and not be a jerk about it. Um, but you know, I think anything, uh, I think one of the implicit problems um, with that genre though, is that it's for the most part selling something. And I think art and selling stuff doesn't go together well. Just like a movie that's trying to sell Coke wouldn't be very good. Uh, it would be like, oh, I get it. You're trying to sell me Coke or you're trying to sell me this <laughs> thing, you know? Um, right. it, 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 so it does have a point and agenda that's trying to push instead of a question it's trying to raise. Where I think that's what kind of art should do is like... Raise questions. Know, raise questions yeah. and, and say, hey, like, or, or say, couldn't life be like this? Or isn't this terrible? Or, or kind of provoke things in you as opposed to tell you stuff. Um, and so I think that genre lends itself more to, let me tell you something that you should know and, and should believe. But, uh, so again, like in that way, I, I think those conventions don't lend itself. It's kind of a little bit more incompatible with storytelling in certain ways of, of what kind of what I want to do. Um, just like any other agenda driven piece, I think people see through it. Blood on my name. You know, we heard a little bit about the production, um, but, uh, the Christian themes mm -hmm. in that came really came through and i you know i'm just fascinated and curious uh, like i it seems christian to me mm -hmm. like seeing that sure. and like how does that how does that fit with you know not working in that genre sure yeah i mean uh there's a lot of stuff that i've done that could be interpreted that way for sure because mm -hmm. i mean and that was kind of the point when i worked at 12 stone was it was interpreted that way yeah. um but the key word for me is interpret and so, uh, you know, I have a worldview that I align with the church. You know, I, I myself am a Christian. And so I have these things about redemption, restoration, love, you know, all these kind of things. But also, you know, death and, and, and bad. I mean, there's just there's a kind of the duality to life that's a little bit more than just the saccharine, beautiful, everything's fine. Um, and so I resonate with that and try to tell stories. But at that point, though, there's like stories that are the, the symbols and the, the concepts are, are all over the place. Why people can watch The Matrix or a Marvel movie and get oh, Christian yeah. themes out of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Because the themes are universal. Redemption is a universal theme. We want to see redemption. We want to see a hero rise. Um, you know, storytelling, in my mind, comes apart into four pieces. Creation, fall, salvation, redemption. Every story follows that kind of plot line. Everything from you know, the Bonner blockbuster to the, the, the indie film. It begins with creation. is how things are meant to be. It's Frodo and the Shire, it's, it's, you know, it's everything is good. And then a fall where something evil enters the world and destroys it. Salvation, a hero must rise and sacrifice themselves. And then redemption, everything goes back to the way it is and it, or the way it should be and even better. I mean, every movie is like that. We love it. We're addicted to that story as a culture. Um, so if you're interpreting things like that, it's easy to interpret it that way as well. Um, and there's some things, um, you know, the, uh, the film that we're working on now is is a rated R Southern Gothic musical, but it is the, probably the most Christian thing I'll put out because uh, it has these themes. And I find, you know, I like to work in some of those themes because of the language and the old timey, you know, a lot of period pieces. So yeah, the old yeah. religion type stuff is interesting right. to me. I think love things like True Detective and uh, Southern Gothic and the Southern Gothic genre takes kind of the myth all like. America doesn't have its own mythology. It's almost like old-timey religion is its mythology. Uh, you know, fire and brimstone and, and kind of this, uh, it's, very, uh, it's very harsh. 
but also gospel uh, oriented kind of world. And so I like drawing from that. So, it, you know, and it's kind of natural that that language comes natural. And I feel like is more accessible because it is old, you know, hymns and, and stuff like that, that we as a culture accept. And it's not like, again, it's not agenda driven. It's just using the palette that especially in America and Americana has at its core. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here. Correct me if I am. I'll let you know. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> the convention of the Christian genre is not something you're interested in being part of, mm -hmm. but the themes of Christianity, you're interested in that as a filmmaker as long as you don't have to get put inside a box over here inside sure. this other thing. I don't know. Is yeah. That I'd say that. I think, but I'd say even broader, I think the themes of Christianity are the themes of culture mm. and, and, and culture in large. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I will defy you to find any story that people love that isn't in some way, again, that creation, fall, salvation, redemption story, um, E.T., Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, all this stuff. We, we love these heroes that sacrifice themselves. So I just, I kind of relate it. Uh, Joseph Campbell is a hero. Uh, just I love his stuff. And I've With read many stuff. faces. Yes, very much so. <laughs> oh, he got him. Nailed it. Um, and uh, uh, it, it just again, he it talks about the monomyth and this yeah. story that as we as human beings love this story. We're addicted to the story. And so I think it's almost like maybe one uh, complements the other. And so, mm. again, as a Christian, I see it kind of built in and I have opinions as to why the story is the monomyth but I can't change the fact that it is. Mm. And then, so I'm always going to play in that realm. And, yeah. and so sometimes, you know, the hope is that I would just kind of buy into the shtick uh, of redemption uh, and personally, and try to live that out in my life. So we've talked a little bit about your protege program. Mm -hmm. What are you looking for there? Somebody's interested. Yeah, no, right now it's a yearly thing. It's usually really, it's all ages. Um, all creeds, all anything. It's just open to anybody. Uh, but I'm looking for people, again, like I said before, that raw talent uh, and drive. Mostly those two things. Um, experience doesn't, uh, doesn't matter to me. Um, it's more about are they interested in getting better and do they have a passion for this? Um, and so the Protege program is a bit, it's a, I, I run it, it's pretty hard uh, going. It's more than just an internship. I make them sometimes make something every week. Uh, just like I had to, um, it's non-paying either way. They don't pay to get in. I don't, you know, I don't pay them to do work, but we meet every week for two hours and, uh, and at 6am, cause if you don't want to get up at six, you, you don't want to make films. And we really push down these themes and try to get them better. And at the end of the year, they have a uh, demo reel and hopefully are equipped with some knowledge and they've been on sets and I let them kind of open up my process. All questions are open and they want to know how much we made on this project or what was the worst mistake I made on that thing. Like just completely open honesty on that. Uh, but really it's, again, it's that drive. It's that drive. And so I've had people who are 16 and I've had people who are mid forties in it. It's just more just about kind of where they want to go and how bad do they want it. Um, most of my time is spent trying to convince them to not do this as a living. It's brutal. Uh, so I'll tell them, Hey, look, this is, this is the horrible stuff that you, yes, it's yes. My name comes up first at the end of the credits. Sure. However, here's all the horrible stuff that goes with it and you have to be okay with all of it. Um, and you have to have this kind of addiction in you, this kind of sickness to want to do this. Um, and, and those guys get eventually get weeded out as well. I try to kind of, 
I keep it small, um, you know, maybe five to ten, usually a year, and uh, try to keep it to these guys so that I can actually, uh, guys and gals, that I can pour into and that they can, you know, really get something out of it. Um, and then they go off to college or they'll go off to L.A. or they'll stick around. Uh, really, kind of, it's up to them. I don't try to make little clones of myself. Uh, it really is. If you want to make genres that I don't care about, that's fine. Just be great at it. If you want to go make horror movies, go make horror movies. Just be make the best ones. And so just don't put out crap. Uh, film 101, we have a thing we write on the boards. Film 101, don't suck. That's just the, that's the first rule. Just don't suck. Um, if we can get there, then, you know, we can, we can, that's a good starting point. Isn't just not sucking. So, but it takes a while to get there for sure. I'm still trying to figure it out. So you mentioned that you, you sort of gave a, uh, you know, a lot of your energy is put into sort of trying to weed out the the you know telling them telling people well this is what it's really like Mm -hmm. and if you're not okay with that uh this is not for you sure so what is that we'll start at the beginning which is uh i spend gosh 80 percent of my time pitching to get projects made then i get to so i can be on set for about four days or seven days or maybe you know maybe if i'm lucky 14 days um but that takes a year to get there. So if you're not ready to, to push and push to get, and then sometimes it's not things you necessarily want to make. Uh, so you, then you're on set making someone else's thing. You have to make it, make it yours. Uh, sometimes it's what you want to make, but then you're gonna have to suffer through it and do it for no money and you have to pull it together. That's a big one. I think people think directing and they think, you know, I'm only going to really Instagram when I'm on set, you know? So people might think, oh yeah, you're just filming all the time, but I'm not, it's I'm pitching all the time. Uh, and yeah, and, what an exciting Instagram story. Oh, yeah, it story. looks great. Yeah, oh, yeah, here's another day where I'm in a, a phone call with History Channel and they're rejecting all of my ideas. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, no one wants to see that one. <laughs> right. um, so uh, that's a big part of it. The other part of it, too, is that, you know, this is a little hyperbole, but, you know, when you're filming, when you're a director, um, you get the blame for a lot of the bad, uh, and you, but you get to pass on the good. So if you have... Um, bad music in your film, you're a bad director. But if you have good music, you have a great composer. And so if your your cinematography is bad, you have a great DP. Or if it's good, you have a great DP. If you're bad, you have a bad director. Um, so again, yes, you get your name up at the end of the credits first. But uh, you know you, there is a lot of stuff where, and you, you should if, if you do have a great, if your stuff looks great, you should be giving that credit to the DP and the and the composer and all those guys. Um, but you're not going to be like, oh, you're a great director because your costumes were great. You, know, you have a great costumer. But if they're bad, you're like, well, man, you made a bad movie. Like, it's if it's good, right. you have a good team. If it's bad, you're a bad director. And that's right. fine. I, I think that's part of the, you know, that's part of the cost. Um, it's frustrating, but there's some truth in it. There is, right? absolutely. Yeah, my job is to get them there. Like, I feel like my mm-hmm. job is to get these brilliant people at the table. Uh, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we're all screwed. I have to get people who are much better than me. Uh, and I, same with actors. I have to get people who are just talented and then I get to work with them as opposed to trying to make them do what I want or try to get the quality up. Um, so, it, but again, if, if it's ego driven, it is, it's a lot less, I'd say it's a lot less like ego fulfilling, like, oh, I'm in charge. I mean, it's nice to be on set and everyone says yes or no, sir. Like that's, that's fine. But that's like, you know, a couple of days <laughs> and that's it. Uh, even then you, you need to be collaborative and you need to, you know, don't let it get to your head. Um, you know, as a, as a filmmaker, I always say this when, you know, we finish a thing and I call a rap, uh, I'm unemployed. 
So like, it's a wrap, everybody. Yay. Ah, crap. I got to go find another job. Uh, so that's that's not super fun. Um, and that's uh, filmmaking in general. That's yeah, that's yeah. movie making. Yeah. yeah, and and so and it's harder as a director, I think, unless you're super freelance, just doing a lot of stuff, um, just to get the next gig. I, I, gig. I, I see a lot of you know cinematographers. They can stack projects and work with a lot of different productions. Um, but I have to spend the year trying to get my production. I, I don't get to leap from production to production. You've got to build the next one. I have to go make it, mm-hmm. and then I bring my guys in. But you know, I get sometimes jealous of of my my team members who get to wrap from my shoot and then go to someone else and do another shoot and then you know keep doing it. Oh yeah, uh, well and stay I, busy. I've done some producing and I've and I'm also a cinematographer mm-hmm. and I can tell you the the feeling of walking off set when a shoot is done mm-hmm. and sort of like yeah <laughs> yeah I'm. Right, exactly. I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Know? And, and I got to live with not... it for another, you know, six months. Right. And right. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's hard. I mean, it's good. Again, it's it's good. Uh, I enjoy it. But if you aren't prepared for those realities, it'll get you down real yeah. fast. And I see a lot of people kind of quit. Like, oh, this isn't what I expected. Which I feel like is a is a positive thing. If you know, I've had people come through the protege program who I've convinced. You know, I've showed them, hey, this is directing, but hey, this is, this is cinematography. Oh wow! I, I I want to do that way more. Uh, so yeah. people have just if I can help people go. Oh no! Actually, I'm an editor. I'm not a director. If I can help that, uh, I feel like just as fulfilled because I'm helping steer people in the right direction best I can um, with my little contribution. You know, people's identities are sort of so so tied up in filmmaking that they keep doing it after they really want to be there you know mm-hmm. like they feel like that's who they are and they're abandoning who they are if they do something else but um and filmmaking is cool but i think everybody's bigger than that you know mm-hmm. and if filmmaking isn't what you should be doing or if one aspect of filmmaking isn't what you should be doing like like you were saying before fail fail early and fail forward mm-hmm. you know yeah i think uh i had to come up you know as i you know i started doing everything and yeah. then as I went, you started doing less and less, and you keep bringing in people. The hardest one for me was cinematography. I, I was my own DP for a long time, and I was pretty decent at it. I mean, it wasn't the best, but I was it was passable. And um, it came to a point where I had to choose: like, am I a director or am I a cinematographer? I, I cannot yeah. do both. Yeah. And so that was a hard identity thing for me. And fortunately, I brought in um, uh, a guy from LA. Sean Connery, who's a brilliant DP, and he sh- just took it to the next level. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Like, oh, goodness. That's not, he's doing what he should be doing, and I get to do what I, and like the identity crisis kind of uh, subsided. But it was hard. It was a hard time to go, okay, this is part of who I am, and now I'm going to hand it off to someone else. And yeah, it was kind of kind of, of a brutal thing. And I think, you know, because at the end of the day, we're still all artists. We all get caught up in our work. Uh, if you don't like my work, you don't like me, you know, like that right. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the, what I try to tell people is that like, I'm more kind of identify as a storyteller than a filmmaker. So if storytelling is who I am, I'm a storyteller, uh, filmmaking is the medium that I use. Um, so it's as if I were a, a painter or worked in clay, um, that is the, the, the medium, but the, the essence of who I am is storyteller. And that way, honestly, that way it kind of lets you go, okay, well, if I'm a storyteller, then maybe I can work in video games as well. And maybe I can work in comics and books and kind of a broader sense. And I think being a storyteller, having your identity and being a storyteller is a much safer 
broader place to There's be. There's more freedom in that. Yeah, and it's and it's a it is a it's a it's a safer place because you can't take that away from me. You can, I can never be on set again, and then then I'll then I'm technically not a filmmaker, but I can still be a storyteller, and I can still tell stories. And so that's where I tell people, that's where we got to put our energy and time and effort into learning story, because if if everything's going to change and it will change. Um, the medium will change, the style will change, but storytelling doesn't. It's been the same since the first caveman told the story of the other one. It's the same, and it won't change, I don't. I believe. Um, and now how you tell the stories will always be adjusted. Uh, so th- for me, that's kind of how I sleep at night, is, is channeling my identity there, uh, but also knowing I want to be a great filmmaker, I want to be a director. That's the role I take in my storytelling uh, you know, abilities, but it's not necessarily who I am because uh, I'm a producer and an editor and you know I, I'm a lot of things um, and I own a company which is not super fun uh, that's another thing I'll tell you don't <laughs> if you can help it running a company is a, is a nightmare uh, it's a bummer but it's uh, it's but you have to do what you got to do to get to the process to make what you want yeah that's I mean we talked earlier about how you need to have really great interpersonal skills and be good at cultivating a culture mm-hmm. of collaborators and so on, but uh, being a business person is part of it as well. Yeah, unfortunately. Right? So <laughs> you want to talk about that? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, it's a nightmare. I'm not great at it. Uh, I definitely have made lots of mistakes. Because you're uh, a producer-director both, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That helps me a lot in directing because when I'm on set, I know what things cost. Um, I don't get to shoot a, an invoice up to the cloud uh, if I go over budget on Monday, it's on my desk and I have to deal with that. Uh, so I, it helps me get a good sense of like how to spend money and how to. So on, on a set part, it helps me a lot. But then, you know, yeah, just you got to got to pay the bills and you got to get the next job. And that's where the pitching comes in and having to figure out that you have a lot of high highs and, and low lows. And, and it's it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky just for anybody to make a living doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, business is definitely part of it and trying to figure out. And I think it's our biggest problem as filmmakers and as artists is what is my work worth? And the crazy part is it's worth different things to different people. Yeah. Um, I've done commercials where I've gotten paid tremendous. And then I've, uh, but I'll, I've worked on TV shows that were my TV show that I worked on for four or five months. I didn't even get paid half of what I got paid for two days of directing on a, on a commercial. And so it's just really comes down to, but you know, that learning how much your work is valued helps you understand, you know, okay, I'm going to adjust depending on the project. So, you know, if I do a film, I'm going to get paid nothing. You know, I may get paid absolutely zero. Does that, that doesn't mean I'm worth zero. It just means that this, in this aspect, that's kind of the business of what this is. Um, and just, but at the same point, don't get conceited and get to do a commercial and get paid a bunch of money. doesn't mean that's how much I'm worth either. Cause then uh, when that project is gone, you know, I could be back on the bread line in two seconds. Uh, it's if we get an inflated sense of like, Oh wow, this is my new rate. Uh, it's commercial work. It's that's not realistic at all. Um, and right. so adjusting the business to, um, uh, you know, doing different projects is, is really important. And then just kind of valuing what you do. feels like everybody involved with film has some sort of a balance between work that they do to put food on the table and work that they do that is is their passion mm-hmm. there's a common thread there in in filmmaking everybody's doing something that 
pays better mm-hmm. and something else that doesn't pay as well mm-hmm. that they're doing because they care about it. Can you talk about that balance for you and how you've sure. worked to find that balance? Yeah, it's for me, it became survival. If I'm not working constantly on something I believe in, I just wither and die. Mm. Uh, so there were years where um, I got to work on, I got paid to do the things that I wanted. And that was fantastic. That's, was, the, that's, that's the, the idea, goal, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was early on though, which I, which is brutal because then all of a sudden I enter the real world and then I'm getting you know, uh, paid very little to do things I either don't necessarily fully believe in or I have to make myself like get excited about. Um, and that's not to say all of it. There's stuff that I do now that is still a mix of the two. Um, I get to do some commercial work with some companies that are absolutely fantastic. So I don't want to say it's all like that. But, you know, when you know, I did stuff with with like, you know, History Channel, that was a bit more challenging. And so if I'm out doing that, I need to have something that I'm working on, whether it's a screenplay, it's a pitch package, it's pre-production on something that keeps me alive uh, or else I will just kind of just wither away and die. Um, and it has to be, the hard part is it has to be something that no one's waiting on. Mm-hmm. The project that you, the, the project that is your passion, no one's waiting on it. There's no deadline on it, which is hard because uh, without deadlines, nothing gets made as we right. all know. Yeah. Um, and so you have to make yourself have deadlines and you have to like treat it as if y- your life depended on it. That screenplay you're working on, you have to put a deadline on it and go get it done and work on it it's feverishly, even though, and it's nights and it's weekends and it's time that you don't have, but it's the thing that keeps you going uh, or keeps you alive. And the same thing if you're going to go make that film. I mean, I've been pitching a film for a year and it's probably going to be another year before I even get to possibly, you know, if I get the privilege of making it. Um, but I have to work on that when I'm doing stuff that maybe is a little more just, just for the money. Um, but if I don't, it, it just kind of go adrift. And so my biggest thing is to always have that thing that you're excited to be working on, that you cannot wait to go spend time on. Uh, and then put a deadline. I like to definitely, we definitely put a gun to our head and say, like, my thing is, uh, and Nick hates when I do this, um, I'll, I'll promise it to people well before it's done. I'm like, so we're working on a screenplay and I'll say, uh, talk to our agent, like, hey, I'll have you a draft um, in two weeks. And then I'll hang up like, oh, no. And then Nick's like, what have you done? I'm like, I don't know. I just needed a deadline to like just we have two weeks now. We have to we have to finish it. Um, so like self-imposing these deadlines, even if it's just friends. I'm like, hey, I'm going to send you the screenplay on Friday. Um, and then I got to go finish it or else I I'm, you know, or I'm that guy who's like, oh, next Friday and eh, maybe next Friday. <laughs> uh, so putting right. consequence to your actions. Uh, that's the only way because I'm not good enough to be like, oh, I can, I'm diligent. I'll work on this every, every week. I can definitely start drifting away. So you're finding ways to, to sort of build in accountability. I have to babysit myself basically. Yes. I have to trick myself into doing things that I love. It's ridiculous, but that's, I think that's part of the process. There's a book called war of art. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, uh, it's brilliant. Stephen Pressfield. And it's definitely about like resistance and this thing inside you that wants to, you know, make you not do the thing you love. Um, but there's a normalizing sense of like, oh no, I love writing. Uh, or actually I hate writing. I love having written. So it's kind of that, like that balance of, man, why is the thing that I want to do? Why am I so resistant to doing it? And usually, usually that's, it means it's the thing you should be doing. It's the thing that you're most resistant towards. Um, which is kind of a bummer We you have to fight through it. And most people don't. And that's why most people have half finished screenplays or have, you know, half shot stuff, you know, and that kind of gets stuck in that middle ground. So if you find yourself there and working on that screenplay 
uh, for, you know, I, I learned, I learned I can complete stuff quickly when I had to, uh, I wrote a screenplay cause I had to, it was, we were desperate for some cash and somebody gave me an opportunity to write something, a feature film I wrote in three weeks, but then, you know, now was it great? I mean, it needs way more work, but I go, Oh, I can do that. Like I can do that if I have to Yeah. now make the other thing that I want to do, make it a have to somehow. Yeah. That's, I, I think most of us are surprised when we realize what we can do when we have to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As daunting as what you're talking about uh, sounds sometimes, I think there is some good news in there because I think a lot of people question sort of whether they or not they have what it takes, and and that's a fair question. But I think there is truth that if you're just willing to go ahead and do the work that other people are too tired to mm-hmm. do or not motivated enough to do, like you, you will be in a small group at that point. Yeah, the competition drops yeah. when you get to the point where you're completing things um, that most people kind of give up on. And I know why they give up on it. You know, it's not because <laughs> I'm like a superhuman, uh, whatever. I have to, uh, you know, it sucks, and I have to figure out ways to get through it. Uh, and I have accountability. You know, I have uh, partners and, and friends and people that are pushing me as well. Um, but yeah, once you get there, it's, it is a smaller pool of people that actually have done stuff and it takes a long time. I mean, I still haven't made a feature film and I've been trying for a long time, written seven screenplays and we're pushing and I have to get up in the morning and push again to get the next one figured out. Um, and that's, uh, that's a hard process and I can see why people would give up on that. Tell me more about your feature efforts. You've written seven scripts. Yes. Where are things at? Uh, well, they are all in various uh, stages of development. Usually I'll write the screenplay and then I'll get a pitch package together. My favorite thing, pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll shop it around. Uh, you know, sometimes we've gone to L.A. and shopped at the studios. And sometimes we just kind of do private investment stuff. Some have just gotten no interest. Some have been partially funded and then we lost the funding. A story as old as time. Uh, <laughs> and then went, you know, almost went bankrupt. Uh, sometimes things are, you know, everyone gets excited about it, but nobody wants to fund it. Um, and, uh, that's kind of where we are now. And so it's just, you know, it's checking things off the list of saying, okay, well, maybe this isn't the right story. Maybe this other one's the right story. Um, and finding where there's the need, uh, and then finding the right person that believes in you. And so as opposed to feeling like we're complete failures, we just try to be like, okay, this just hasn't worked yet. Uh, so it's, it's a constant process. And uh, convinced, I mean, it's like if you went outside and you went to the biggest tree you could find and you took one swing with an axe at that tree every day, that tree's coming down. It's not a matter of if it's coming down, it's just when. And so we just try to get out and just take a swing every day. And the thing's coming down at some point. I don't know when, but it's not if, it's, it's when. So what's on the front burner right now? Is there something you'd like to... Uh... I don't know if I want to ask you to pitch per se on the spot, no, no. but, but uh, like, can you tell us just about what, um, what, wh- what's that big tree that you're taking a swing at? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's that Southern Gothic musical I've been kind of alluding okay. to and, uh, it's weird and it's rated R and it's strange. Um, but I think we really believe in it and we've gotten the, um, screenplay done and we've gotten the music written for it. Uh, we were just in LA about maybe four weeks ago pitching to the studios, which is really cool and a great opportunity. And the response has been, holy crap, this is amazing. 
but it's also bonkers and we don't know that we're going to risk it. Uh, but if you find someone to risk it, come back and we'll, you know, we'll want to snatch it up. So it's uh, kind of in a mixed bag and now we're doing more independent uh, financing options. So, um, but it's, uh, it's honestly the, I mean, the, the basic story is about these three brothers. Uh, have you heard the story of the, uh, Robert Johnson, the guy who goes to the crossroads at midnights and, and shakes the hand with the devil to become the greatest guitar player. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah so that kind of the Faustian type tale. Mm-hmm. Um, so our story is about a guy who goes to the crossroads and the devil doesn't want to make that deal anymore for his soul. Uh, so the opportunities, he says, uh, I want to sell the souls of any future sons that I have to become the greatest bluesman there ever was. And the devil likes that idea. So he takes him up on it. Our story begins 30 years later and you have these three brothers who are from different mothers, uh, but their souls are already sold to the devil before they were born. And so they're born damned and they have to go find their dad. And in the rules of the world is if they kill their dad, they get their souls back. Hmm. Um, and so they have to go from other people who've sold their souls, to the devil, and you kind of um, uh, kill them and dispatch and get information from them. Um, so it's kind of like, you know how like the old time musicals are, or really even like the Disney musicals where, you know, this song, the film would go and then a song would start from nowhere and they'd sing and dance. Uh, this one's more like a sing and stab. So, you know, every time they sing, they're usually killing someone. Uh, so it gets kind of grisly. Um, but it has a lot to do with redemption about, you know, redemptive violence. Can you get your soul back through violence? And can you... Uh, you know, forgiveness obviously is another one of revenge versus, um, uh, you know, forgiveness and redemption. Um, so it's a fun movie, but it's, it's, it's pretty dark. And like I said, it's probably the most Christian thing I'll write because it has those themes, but it has this bigger Faustian deal with the devil type stuff. Uh, and they sing, which is, so we say it's Pulp Fiction meets Mary Poppins is kind of our, it's kind <laughs> of the, it's kind of the shtick, but it's, it is kind of based off of blood of my name, a little bit of like that kind of style we just yeah. knew it kind of hit and worked so you know again when you have someone like nick who's writing brilliant music you make musicals so that's kind of what i you know what we went after so it's like oh brother where art thou huge influence yep. yeah huge influence yeah exactly so it's got that kind of vibe it's a modern day anachronistic type thing um very Co- i love coen brothers and so but i i try to make the dialogue like coen brothers but like you know super super deep south southern um, even more so than like a brother, but, uh, yeah, that's a huge influence, uh, to us. And honestly, the Disney movies, uh, of like the nineties, Aladdin and little mermaid, Lion King, the, the, the way we built the film very much kind of mirrors that, which is, you know, how long the story goes and then they sing and then the story goes and then they sing music comes from nowhere. It's actually a very familiar format culturally we're used to just not in live action, rated R action Mm -hmm. adventure, uh, movies. Um, so it's the timing between songs and what they say and all that kind of stuff is, is almost exactly like them. It's a, it's a very, as you can see, it's a very strange pitch. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we believe in the project. There, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other, like, uh, Sweeney Todd. Well, Sweeney Todd's more of a musical in the sense of like, they sing dialogue. So right. our guys don't sing dialogue. Um, but like blood of my name where this, you, you kind of have a scene leading up to an event. And then during this event, they sing a song that doesn't necessarily like I am talking to you kind of thing. It's very much more like a kind of just a contained song that's kind of plopped down in it. Okay. And then, you know, but again, like I said, they're just like it's its own set piece. Uh, So I can't wait to be king. Right. So the the scene they're talking about being king all of a sudden it's the they just go into the song and the song kind of like summarizes in some ways. 
yeah. the feeling that they have. And so same way, this is the scene will play up. And as soon as you've, you've kind of peeked at that expression, then the music starts and then they kind of go through it and they, it's usually action sequences over, over songs. So very interesting. It, so is it dark there. like Sweeney Todd though? Very much. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of stabbing and shooting and, and, and very dark uh, on that side. Southern Gothic actually. So Southern Gothic, like I'm highly influenced by like Flannery O'Connor um, Walker Percy and some of these guys, some of the, the darker stuff, especially with Flannery, um, that's very harsh, old time gospel. Very, you know, Flannery O'Connor um, would write stuff that is just, I mean, I mean, she was a, a woman in the in the 60s and I sat down to read some of her stuff. I'm like, I heard she was like pretty hardcore and I'm like, sure, okay, whatever. And I read Good Man is Hard to Find and I was shocked by it. And I'm like, okay, all right, there's something here. And I try to figure out the Southern and she was a, you know, she was a Catholic and she was like very staunch. Uh, and she wrote about the South and some of these, you know, midnight baptisms and, and killer uh, preachers, things like uh, night of the hunter and some of these things that are just the, the genre in itself is something I've, I super interested in and, and spent a lot of time studying. So when we say it's a Southern Gothic musical, it is in that sense, inherently dark. Uh, but it, it mm. also deals with these bigger themes, again, like the Christian mythology type thing of using these ideas and thoughts. Um, so that we hope, I hope it would be something that like Flannery O'Connor would, would, would watch and go, eh, that's pretty good someday. I guess the, the tricky, what's tricky about what you're trying to do is, um, well, it's like mixing ingredients. If you're, if you're cooking, certain ingredients are common pairings, right? Mm -hmm. We know what to expect. Every once in a while you, you, you find a pairing that is that you're not used to or that is not intuitive but it works really well right, right? yeah and so you're you're looking for that mm -hmm. and you're you're hoping that you're not mixing things that just don't actually it belong could, in the same recipe it could taste terrible absolutely <laughs> and that's i i really do think though uh one is that you know with blood of my name there was a taste for it we it, it culturally got way out of hand and blew up bigger than we thought it would uh, so we knew that weirdness. There was something. There's something to it. Um, and the other thing is, I don't. I don't think if you're not making something that is risky, uh, that it's it, it's you know for me anyway, it's it's it needs to be risky to be worthwhile mm. for me. And so I don't love things that are super safe that to make anyway. I love. I mean, I watch Marvel movies and I'll watch indie stuff. So it's all over the map. But the same point, like. You know, I did a film a couple of years ago uh, called The Candy Shop, and it's uh, it's a fairy tale about the sexual exploitation of children. Uh, and so it's something that we made to help fight sex trafficking in Atlanta, and we premiered at the Fox Theater and um, and used it to help raise funds for this stuff. But that's a weird pairing, uh, yeah. child sex trafficking and a fairy tale. And we kind of mushed them together, and it was it worked. And it worked for what it was and what it, we needed it to do. And so I like that. I mean, I like that kind of risk of smushing together these things. And sometimes it hasn't worked. I for sure have tried it before. And it's like, well, that was awful. And uh, just sweep that under the rug. It's not on the website. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think most people don't do it because there's a fear of not being cool. One time, a long time ago, there was a company that said uh, online that Whitestone is the uncoolest company, film company. Uh, and that was a good thing. <laughs> uh, because we would try things that could not be cool. Uh, a, a fairy tale about sex trafficking could be super lame. Uh, and so I've done, you know, Blood of My Name could have been super lame. And some people might think it is, but 
it was huge risk to go, I think it would work maybe. Um, and so if we're willing to like not be cool, uh, then that's how you make the stuff that eventually does become cool, I think. I feel like what you're kind of getting at at a certain level is that you have to be willing to be vulnerable at a certain level. How like how important is that as an artist, do you think? I mean, I think it's everything. I mean, I think being being open and splitting your soul open uh, and pouring your guts out is all that really matters when you're making stuff. Again, filmmaking has this very, like technical side and i think we get caught up in that but i have to remind myself we're artists and and now i i use the word artisan more because artisans uh historically were people that made things that were usable uh tables and bread and things that were meant to be consumed and used um and storytelling used to be in that category storytelling was an art uh, artisanal it was practical it was practical it was used to be consumed by people um, and so we're still artists though, in that sense, it's a, it's a good mix of the two of artistic. And so like art capital a of just like, Hmm, it's open to interpretation and it's all these things. And you know, anything can be art, which I don't believe in. Um, I think there's bad art and bad things, but it's very controversial. I, I can talk about an hour about that. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, I think if you're not willing to still like be an artist, split your soul open and open up the stuff people can smell it. Um, I, I learned that with directing. I, I, I always was afraid of actors cause they're just like this unknown thing to me. Mm, and so this enigma yeah, yeah. Like, that I can't control. I can control the lights I control everything else, but I can't control this human and do meat puppetry. But, um, I realized that I would say like, okay, so here's the thing. I want you to sit here. I'm going to film you and I want you to just open up your soul and cry and ball your eyes out. Now I'm going to go over here behind this monitor and I'm going <laughs> to judge you. And so is everybody else. All right. So, and action, uh, that's a nightmare. Like what a horrible thing to do to people. Now they sign up for it, but at the same point, I feel like I have to be there with them. That's my job. And so often I'll have, I'll be seated next to them or I'll try to be connected. And at some point it's like, okay, it's just you and me and we're going to do the scene. Uh, and I have to get vulnerable. I have to be, if I want them to cry, I got to be able to cry. Like I got to be there in that emotional space with them. And that sucks. I don't like, I don't like crying. Like, I don't like being vulnerable like that, but at the same point, that's the job. And if, if it's there, you know, they say it's, it's in the work, you know, hopefully when you, if you read something that I've put together or you see something that we've made, you'll just feel it. It should hopefully be there. The performances in blood, blood on my name really stood out to me as being, they, I mean, they felt profound, you know? And that's the same thing. Yeah. I was right next to him when, when I'm hanging the guy and he's like, struggling to breathe and and dying i was right off camera with him just saying okay we got it this is let's go we gotta go all the way i and i think that project in general is almost a perfect example of something that in less capable hands would have been really lame but because you pulled it off at the level that it, it, you did like it hits you, you sure. know, and oh, it, it, it works. Yeah. And it's yeah. a risk. It could have just been really lame. Like I said, most people, some people might think it's super lame. Like that's okay. Again, that's a risk that you have to be willing to take. I'm not going to make everybody happy. Um, and that's where this, this feature film that we're doing now, like we know part of our pitch in Hollywood was, look, you're either going to turn this off in five minutes or you're going to watch it three times. Yeah. There's, I'd rather that than somebody watching it. You're not going to watch this film and go, oh, that was pretty good. 
you're going to go, this was a, an abomination, or, man, I love that movie. Yeah, like a movie like Moulin Rouge. You know, I had a friend who walked out like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's uh, It's one of my favorite there. movies, you know. It's yeah, definitely, right? Yeah, and it's stuck with me, and it's culturally, you know, super relevant and, and, and still part of it now. So I think the worst thing that could happen is someone watch your thing and go, yeah, it was, it was all right. That was good. It was good. That's mm. just like death. Mm. I, I would rather you go, uh, I want you to have some kind of, I want you to be moved by it in some way. Uh, not to say I want people to hate it, but I have to know that I'm going to risk this and it's not to everyone's taste. Um, and that's okay because I want, this is what I want to make. And some things I want to make that everyone loves. I want to make E.T. and Star Wars. Like I love that stuff. Like I, I definitely am still in that camp. Um, I don't want to just do indie dark type stuff forever. Uh, but at the same point, this kind of, this is, we realized early on that people weren't going to let us do what we wanted to do. Uh, we weren't going to get permission to do this. Uh, we have to go do it. And then people, if it works, it'll resonate, but I'm not going to get someone to, um, you know, a, a bigger, it's harder to get someone to come in and say, oh yeah, uh, we want you to do that weird thing. Um, we'll hire you to do this weird thing. And it's like, no, we got to got to go out and do it and prove that we can do it and then and then hopefully you can go point to something and say see it worked and that's kind of what we did with blood on my name it was like huge risk uh very very low budget and then we go hey it worked and now we're still using it to this day to go hey like this like this kind of thing yeah. and people go oh okay i know what you're talking about this is just a nerdy question but uh what did you guys use for camera movement on that uh camera camera movement mm -hmm. Uh, like, you're out in the middle of the woods somewhere, right, mm -hmm. that you had to hike to. I think there would be significant temptation to work on sticks mostly, but you weren't. I'm, not, yeah. I'm curious what you were. Fish or dollies and cranes, and we had okay. to haul that crap out there. See, that's what I was wondering, because <laughs> yeah. maybe not everybody would notice it, but I think a lot of uh, people at a certain point in their career right now would probably be imagining a Ronin or a, a movie sure. or something like that. Yeah. But I was watching it closely. I'm like, that's not, no, that's I, not a gimbal. Yeah, that's, no, I like the that's control. That's the real deal. <laughs> I like the control nature of it. And that's definitely yeah. my, uh, my AD and the team. Definitely. I, I mean, I just like moving the camera and maybe mm -hmm. it's cause I'm ADD, but I like motion. All that oh, kind it of makes stuff. such a difference. So, so I do say, oh, look, I need this. I mean, and normally we can't afford a steady cam. Uh, or mm -hmm. something like that. So yeah, it's like, all right, let's get, let's get the fisher out and let's get the crane out. And we just have to haul it half so how, a mile into the woods. How, yeah. I was curious how far you actually had to, some of them were pretty far. Like, were you able to use a gator or anything? Sometimes. To, yeah. yeah. Sometimes. And then, but the gator will only get you so far and then you got to get up over the hill. Uh, right. and then just, I remember one time I was on a bigger show and, uh, it was, uh, for history channel. It was a much larger production. It had some people that I, I hadn't worked with before. And so I was like, hey, I want to shoot this thing up on these rocks way up there. They're like, up there? I'm like, yeah, let's just, with the fisher and the thing. And they're like, but why did, why up there? I'm like, because it looks cool. And so, and they were like, okay. And just, everyone just, but that's part two where like, I feel like if I can, I have to get in there and, and haul stuff too. Like I have to get in there and, and grab the fisher and grab some uh, uh, track and stuff like that. If I want it, I should prove that I want it that bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that's what I was saying before is like, you want that Vista go shoot on that mountain. And when people ask, how did you do X, Y, Z? The answer for me, hopefully will be, well, we just did it. Like we did it. Like we had to go 
how did we shoot that Vista shot? We climbed to the top of the mountain and shot the Vista mm-hmm. shot, and it sucked, and it was awful, but it looked really cool. How'd you get that sunrise? Well, we just shot at sunrise. We got up at four in the morning and shot it, you know? And, like, I think that is part of the filmmaking process, that that doesn't cost extra money. It's just cost and blood and sweat. And uh, that's where, if you don't have a budget, the, the thing that we I, I sit with people and we go, okay, what is something we can do that we can solve that's not we don't have the money we can't do we can't keep up and compete so if we can't compete visual effects wise and money wise what's something we can do that audiences will go how the heck did you do that uh whether it be a oneer that is super complicated and super fun and when they go wow how'd you pull that off it's like well, we did it like we spent two days on it you know like we just like put in the work because you can't fake it mm-hmm. hopefully if you do it right you can't fake it um and uh, I like that. I, I feel like that's the only, one of the very few edges we have as independent filmmakers is like time because we don't have money. <laughs> so if you're right. out there with your buds, you can spend the time to get one thing, some crazy shot right, um, and do it in a complicated way. Um, and because yeah, I can't afford to do the visual effects, I can't afford to do the big you know, spectacle. This is sort of a weird question, but is there a part of you that feels like some of that stuff needs to be difficult? Uh, yeah, some of it's like, if it's not hard, it's not worth it kind of thing. There's yeah. a little bit of that. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't try to make it hard, but I definitely like, you know, we did one thing where, uh, I, so yeah, sort of part of it is like, if I'm even when I'm writing, uh, I did a film called, um, hold fast is about a plane crash in the middle of a swamp. And so I write that and then everyone looks at it and goes, are you kidding me, man? Like you, you had to write, you couldn't write something that was a car crash inside you had a bit of plane in the swamp and i'm like yeah yeah i mean i think it looks cooler you know and i could have done a oh it's a car crash on the side of the road but i just think it's better if it's a plane crash in the middle of the swamp and so we had to go get a little plane and put it in the swamp and we filmed with waders on and it was a nightmare and everyone loved it um and you know there are leeches in georgia which i didn't know before i did that um and that they and they live in nests i didn't know there was a leech nest until i stepped in one and saw it like a which is cauldron. It was a nightmare. Um, but, uh, you know, that's part of, that's part of it. And so, but I, I think at the end of the day, so it looks better. So I do see a correlation to how hard we work to the end product. Um, that's not always the case, but, uh, I, I, I feel like that is kind of a, a good ratio. How do you pick your battles? That's good. Um, it is, is definitely picking the battles. Uh, it, it is about compromise. The directing is compromising. Um, I usually only have one or two that this is the hill I die on. Everything else is up for grabs. Everything else is compromise. Um, I, I cannot go in saying, oh, no, this is my thing. It needs to be exactly this. Uh, if, I want, if I want the plane in the swamp, but we can't get the plane in the middle of the swamp, then I have to figure out how to shoot it on the edge of the swamp and make it look like it. That's that's my compromise. And so I have to be okay. I can't just be like, well, too bad. You need to get, figure out and we need to spend extra money and get the, you know, the way I want it. It needs to be like, okay, I can work with that. Okay, I need I need this one shot uh, on this at sunset. Okay, well, if you want that one shot, you're going to have to rush these other two shots. Okay, I can do that. I can rush the other ones and get this one. It's that important. Or, ah, no, it's not that important. I'd rather have time with these other ones. I have to always compromise and I just pick my one or two. Mm. I usually know going in like, oh, this shot is the one, like I need this one. And I'll tell my AD, hey, this one's the movie, this one I need. Um, these other ones, I, we all, I mean, they all need to be great, but I'm willing to sacrifice this for that. 
I, if we don't get this one shot or this one scene, we don't move on. Um, I, I, you only get to say that once or twice to your AD because you have to listen. They're there to protect you and right. say, hey, dummy, let's keep moving. Um, but yeah, it's, it's picking very, very carefully and knowing you want to be able to, I mean, uh, the best thing you can do is when you get done and everyone, including naysayers, say, oh, that was worth it. Oh, man, that's great. That was worth it. If you don't have that, you're like, why did we do that again? And it's like, oh, the end product is like, eh, you know, then you, you start losing clout. And so it's very, 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 uh, with great caution and energy, I picked those battles to, to fight on. I think we've all been there on set when, you know, the thing that you're saying, but the naysayers need to agree, mm -hmm. you know, that the thing is worth it, you know, at the end of the day. You have something to prove. Yeah. And that's that holds you accountable too, right? Oh, absolutely. You have to be able to say, you can only say, trust me, so many times before people don't. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know I use it very rarely to my producers or to anybody and say, look, trust me. I know you don't agree with me, but trust me, this is worth it. And if you win those, then the next time it's a little easier. They go, okay, yeah. all right, I trust you. You lose those and you won't get to say it uh, again. Because people go, oh, I don't trust you, so because you botched right. the last three of these, um, so it, it it. But I take a lot of weight when I say trust me. It's it it, it it's a very important thing. So I, I use that very because it's as a director or even producer, you can I can. Uh, well, this is what we're doing. This is what I want. Uh, you could do that, I guess, and nobody wants to work with you or give you money again. Uh, yeah, I, I take that. It's like a sacred thing to go. Just, All right, I know you don't agree. Just trust me on this one. Um, so pick that, pick it wisely. Good advice. What should we talk about that we haven't? No, I mean, we've, uh, we've covered a lot. Uh, I think, uh, you know, my biggest pushes are always just excellence in storytelling. Be sure to work on story and more, uh, you know, the filmmaking process is mechanical, uh, and you got to know it, but your effort should be in the storytelling process. Um, like that's my biggest like push. So, I mean, I think we've, uh, we've, we've covered it pretty good. Oh, one thing. Yeah. Um, Atlanta as a place to make films mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm traveling and, uh, just sort of seeing what the lay of the land is in different places. Are you a, a native, uh, Atlantan? Yes. Yeah, I started, yeah, I started Atl Atlantean. This. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I started filmmaking here. So, I mean, okay. it's kind of, uh, I moved when I was super young here. So okay. I consider myself, uh, Atlanta. Uh, I'm here in Georgia. I'm staying here in Georgia. I'm not going anywhere else. Um, it's cool. I was here though. We were working on this stuff before the incentive and people came in and when it goes, we'll still be here. Uh, I, I very much believe in kind of a, like a regional, um, voice. Uh, I think, I think it's, I don't, buy into the fact that like you know the south is a new hollywood type thing because basically they're just they're just coming in and renting our stuff and then leaving so like the fact that these giant films are being shot here doesn't really help the filmmaking community at large the filmmaking community here um we're still on our own and so we still have to kind of band band together now it means there's some talent here there's more talent and crew for sure and our guys have all had to step up their their game which is great um but i definitely believe in more of a like we have to tell our stories and we have to tell uh, make our films and have our own unique voice. I think that's part of the, the power of the South is that we're unique and weird still. Uh, and I think um, for positive and negative reasons, um, but I think it's really important that we 
band together and we still figure out how to make this work and have our own unique voice. That's a, that's a definitely a different, a little bit of a different take. Not that that doesn't agree with what other people are saying, but one takeaway you might have from what you're saying is if you want to be a director, Atlanta is not necessarily a great destination. If you want to be a crew person, for sure, Atlanta can be a good. Atlanta's good for crew actors place. too. Are, are are getting a lot more work. It's hard, but even then, yeah. they bring in their actors from from L.A. Yeah. Um, it's getting more and more like slowly and I, we'll see in the next couple of years if if people from Atlanta are getting more a benefit um, from the film industry being here uh, right now all it's done for me is make locations way more expensive and, oh uh, really yeah. oh yeah because they now well, things I could get for a few hundred bucks they know that Marvel will pay 10 grand for it. I'm like oh, I'm not Marvel like I need help here um, but yeah I, I like all of my directing jobs have come from elsewhere uh, yeah. from all over the place. But I, I think part of that, though, I mean, I've worked with people in New York and L.A. and, um, you know, all over the place. So where you are sometimes doesn't quite matter as much. Um, now, we have access to gear and the thing. I mean, there's clearly good reasons to film here. Yeah. Um, and, and even the typo typography is huge. Like, you be able to film in the city and then go film in the suburbs and then go film in the boons and then you have an ocean over there. You're like... It's a very versatile place to film, uh, so I love it. And uh, we've used the tax incentive before on, on some of our okay. project, which is nice. I mean, that's 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 really nice. We've only done it once, and it's like, wow, that's that's pretty fantastic. I don't know why people do it, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, on any of the projects that I love uh, to work on, I'm not getting tax incentive stuff back from. And if we get investors coming in, like on a feature, they're going to get it, not me. So um, it's a, it's attractive, but it's you know, as a director. You know, I, I haven't gotten work from here, but yeah. I just work. I do work here. Not that this is necessarily an inhospitable place to a director, but as far as like a boom town for filmmaking, that's definitely more about crew than it is about above the line. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, I mean, but you'll find the same thing in L.A. I mean, go out in L.A. and everybody, including your bus driver, is a, a director. So right. it's just a saturated type market. I don't think it's as saturated here. Um, and you know, uh, there are other people who've found more success doing stuff here. So I can, I can't speak for everyone. I can just speak for myself, but Atlanta is a film friendly place. I mean, the film commission here is fantastic. Uh, the, and there is a solid community of filmmakers. It's just smaller than you'd think. Uh, but they're kind of knit together, uh, filmmakers just doing their own thing and helping each other out. So there is a good, there is a good sense of community here. Um, it's just not like you just you're not going to walk into Atlanta and just be handed directing gigs. Uh, that's not quite how it goes. I don't know if there's any place like that. Yeah, no, not quite, not quite. But you know, but if you for those who spend the energy and the effort to get to know people, and uh, it is definitely more community based, more um, people based, which I love. I love that part. Um, it's not as uh, it's not as cold and rigid as, as maybe some other places are. So I do love it. I love filming here, and I love the community here, and I want to continue to be part of. The community growing and which is why we do protege stuff and, and try to mm -hmm. give back because we want the community here to to grow and have an identity of itself cost of living is reasonable yeah that's what they tell me i've only lived here so i don't know <laughs> right. but yeah no, i know i yeah it's not you know, millions of dollars for a, a little tiny house in la so right for sure it's, it's definitely better than that um so what what's the title of your uh, faustian musical i have avoided that as you can see uh, because it's called the goddamn Daylong Brothers. Okay. Uh, it's a bit, as you can see, it's uh, offensive and big and bold. 
Um, but that is part of the allure. That's part of the genre to be big and bold. So, um, you know, the, uh, the goddamn day long brothers is the kind of the, uh, you know, colon, a Southern Gothic musical, uh, it's part of the, not quite part of the title, but part of the pitch. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the big project that hopefully you'll see in theaters. It'll be a small release. <laughs> It'll be niched, but it should be a very, I, I, I want people I tell people that success for me for day long is people at Dragon Con and Comic Con dressing up as their characters. Like that to me is like cultural success. Uh, that's the kind of film it is that people will love this film and want to be these characters in some ways. Um, but at the same point, it's not for everybody for sure. And that, I mean, part of the title is to make sure, okay, there's an audience we have, uh, people and know what they're, people know what they're getting into. It's yeah. very important to, to us. So, so, uh, earlier you mentioned that you have a strategy of sort of committing yourselves to, or to a timeline. I'm going to see if I can fish you a little bit there. <laughs> when can we look for this? Uh, man, we're working on it every day. Uh, literally I'm going to a meeting now, uh, about it. And, um, we just literally, we ask ourselves every day, what can we be doing to make this thing work? Um, love to film it and maybe spring of next year. Uh, if we can get the funding, I mean, shoot, I'll film it tomorrow if I can get funding. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's our only thing we're focused on. And so, and we had, we, like I said, we went to LA, uh, we're at the point now where we're waiting on, uh, you know, when you're out of, it's out of your control. So we spent two years on the on the script and making it. Uh, we had our own deadlines, and then once we got to this point, the maddening part is it's out of our hands, and now it's into someone else to come in and say, "Oh yeah, cool, let's do this thing." Uh, so we're looking for like a under six million dollar budget. Um, we can do it for nothing, and we've talked about that as well. If if nobody comes in, we'll go, just go figure out how to do it on our own. So it's kind of hell or high water. We're gonna get this thing made. Uh, one way or another. So, um, yeah, I think the next year is is our kind of goal, our target. Come back in a year, and if I haven't done it, you get to berate me. That's that's how the that's how <laughs> the accountability works. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it's um it's been so interesting talking with you about your philosophy in filmmaking because of someone not knowing you but uh, knowing your work at some level. You know, I was always I was always always struck by the fact that you seem to be you know, somebody who really cared about the quality of the work and not just, say, the cinematography, but also the production design and mm -hmm. sort of embracing the aspect of filmmaking that you might consider spectacle, you know? Sure, yeah. And um, it's also refreshing to hear that it, at, at some level uh, that you know which, which hills you're going to die on, mm -hmm. you know? Because uh, there's a finite amount of everything, you know. But it sounds like if you know which battles to pick, it goes a long way in propelling the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's only you're going to die on one hill. <laughs> so if you take too many hills, <laughs> you're not going to make it. Right. Uh, but you know, the but really going all in mm. on the ones you mm. choose, yeah, and and risking everything. And we've risked, uh, you know, and we've risked and failed, uh, and but that doesn't deter us from risking again. And we're putting everything we can into this next one. Um, a few years ago, we risked and, and failed and almost bankrupted the company and, and mm. put us on the red line. It was brutal. And uh, Was that tough to come back and very much, again? Very much, absolutely. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Uh, yeah, no, we raised, we had raised like, you know, a, a large percentage of the funding. And we had one investor come in and say, commit to the rest. And so we were 
going. Like we were going to go make this movie. Uh, you'd started spending money. Oh yeah, absolutely. You spent a good amount of money into the, the production. And then when it came time to actually write a check, the investor said, I'm out. And then all of a sudden you're done. And so in one phone call, we became unemployed <laughs> and, uh, you know, cause you know, funding wise that would last us, that was going to be our next year. We had to quit other projects to do work on this thing. It was that whole, that whole mess. So it was, uh, it took about another two years to recover, two years to recover from before we even, and we're still feeling the shocks of it now, but, um, and that's where we started working on our day long project at our lowest. And, and I think that's another reason why there's a rawness to the film. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, a. Uh, it was definitely hard going and easy. A lot of opportunities to go, okay, this is, the train has stopped. Uh, maybe we get off, you know, the momentum is done. Uh, and uh, we don't know how we're going to get this thing going again. Um, and so it's slowly picking up steam again, but it was tough. It was tough and a, and a, and a good place to quit. Uh, and I've had the, I mean, I had the, the, um, bankruptcy papers drawn up. Uh, I was, I was, I was on the verge. I was about as low as I can get. Um, and just, we just, you know, Nick suffered it with me and we just kind of figured out, all right, we got to go again. We got to, we, we can't, I, I have no other marketable skills, so I have to, I have to make this work. I don't have a backup plan. And that's part of it. Uh, you know, someone said, uh, we're talking about like old, um, you know, uh, Grecian modes of fighting and the idea of like fighting with your back against the cliff. Um, there's no retreat. There's, we, ha we can't fail. And so we do that a lot. We fight with our back against the cliff because there's no going back. We have, like, we have to make this work. Uh, and oftentimes you'll make it work. And so we said, we can't quit. We have to make Whitestone keep working. And, and, and we did to now. Now, again, come back in a year and I might, we might still be, we might be right back where we started. Um, but uh, currently things are, things are picking up. One of the persistent challenges when you're developing a project is if you don't move forward with a certain amount of faith, then nothing will ever happen because sure. there's no like safe way forward. Not really. No. But then you go through an experience like what, what you did and the, there is no safe way forward. That becomes not a hypothetical, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know what that road looks like. Mm -hmm. I know what the unemployment office is where it is, you know, I know, I know how to apply for food stamps. Like I know that now I didn't know that before. And so there is one, it can always get worse. Learn that one. I never said, Oh, it can't get any worse than this. Cause again, uh, and two is, yeah. I mean, I, I like that both haunts me, but at the same point, it's kind of a comforting thing. Cause I know I survived it and, and we survived it. So if it goes back there again, maybe I won't be as panicked and go, okay, the same thing, just like filmmaking, there's going to be something that ruins everything, and it's the end. It's the all is lost moment. I had an all is lost moment, and uh, I'll have many more. And uh, and just but knowing that they they're ahead of us and that they are survivable uh, makes it a little easier um, going forward. So, you know, trying to make it a positive experience. Looking back, I listened to or read something about during World War II the airstrikes in London, mm -hmm. the bombing. The public reacted differently to it than than everyone expected in that people seemed to become braver as a result of the mm -hmm. of the bombings that rather than just sort of devolving into this state of constant panic once they were a survivor they realized they could survive mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's a resilience that comes from bouncing back. Yeah, and it sounds like your story, now that's part of your history, mm-hmm. that's something you can look back at and say, well, you know, I, I did get through that, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever may happen now, it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with that. It's not going into the total unknown. Sure. Uh, you don't want to go back there. No. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it is known. And, uh, and it gives a new perspective of gratitude when you're not there. And I think that for me, too, has is, is been really healthy to know, okay, when things are on an upswing, I'm super grateful. Uh, it was two years where I couldn't get on set. And so when I was stepped on set for our first History Channel show, I was incredibly grateful to be there. I didn't feel like, oh, I deserve this. This is where I belong. It's like, man, I get to do this again, and I'm just happy to be back. Um, and so, you know, that affected even how I carried myself day to day. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. This has been amazing. No, it's been fun. This is awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, if not sooner, I'll take you up on it in a year. In a see year, how things come, are going. come, come, kick my butt. <laughs> Accountability. <laughs> well, well you get know, out there, or or see the film that you've made or are making. Hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. You know, it may sound a little bit corny, but one of the things that I've noticed over time is that uh, we think we're making films, and and oftentimes we are. But also the process of making those films is changing us and sort of turning us into the people we are becoming. And I definitely see that happening for Brandon. I really want to do a follow-up to see what the progress for him has been with his film. I just think there's a lot to think about there, and uh, we'll see you next time on Pictures Up.